Louisiana Senator episodes in a row? You bet. There have been four presidents of the U.S. that have been successfully assassinated. Abraham Lincoln in 1865, James Garfield in 1881, William McKinley in 1901, and John F. Kennedy in 1963. Two more were wounded in assassination attempts, Theodore Roosevelt in 1912 after leaving office, and Ronald Reagan in 1981 while in office. In addition, over a dozen more presidents were the target in unsuccessful assassination attempts and plots. As for presidential candidates, three have been successfully assassinated. In 1844, Mormon leader and mayor of Nauvoo, Illinois, Joseph Smith, who was running as an independent, was shot to death by an anti-Mormon mob in Carthage, Illinois. In 1968, Senator Robert F. Kennedy of New York, who was running as a Democrat, was fatally shot by Palestinian militant Sirhan Sirhan. There was a third candidate who was assassinated as well, but I'm going to hold off on talking about him for now. Uh, To mention him, I'll also have to mention U.S. senators who were assassinated in office. In addition to Robert Kennedy, Democratic Senator David Broderick of California was killed in a duel with California Supreme Court Chief Justice David Terry in 1859. In addition to being one of three presidential candidates assassinated while running, the individual I'm going to talk about today was also one of three U.S. senators assassinated in office. Progressivism is a left-wing political ideology that has played a significant role in American history. It focuses primarily on addressing income inequality and achieving social reforms. Progressivism was introduced to the United States around the turn of the 20th century. While it is subjective, Theodore Roosevelt is widely considered the first progressive president in U.S. history. Notably, progressive presidents since Roosevelt have included Woodrow Wilson, Franklin Roosevelt, and Lyndon Johnson. Today, there are many prominent progressives in American politics. The Congressional Progressive Caucus, affiliated with the Democratic Party in Congress, is currently chaired by Democratic Representative Pramila Jayapal of Washington. The only sitting U.S. Senator in the caucus is Independent Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont. There are 92 U.S. representatives in the caucus from 33 states. It's definitely not a stretch to say that America has become a more progressive nation since 1900. However, arguably the most progressive politician in American history was born over 120 years ago. To many progressives, he is a martyr who fought for his state's poor population and took on greedy oil corporations. But to others, he was a dictatorial bureaucrat who used his popularity to seize control of his state's government. I'm going to tell you all about him, right now, on Historia Obscura. Welcome to Historia Obscura. This is the 29th episode of this podcast, and I can't thank you enough for listening. Special thank you to Patreon subscriber SoDakZak. If you want to receive a shout-out in every episode, among other benefits, help support this podcast by going to patreon.com slash historiaobscura and becoming a patron. 
One more thing, make sure to stick around for a little to hear a message about the sponsor of this episode of Historia Obscura, Anchor. If you want to make your own podcast, you'll want to know everything about how to use Anchor. Long Jr. was born on August 30, 1893, in Winfield, Louisiana. His parents were Southern Baptists, and although he grew up in Wynn Parish, a poor region of central Louisiana, his upbringing was relatively comfortable. Despite being located in a former Confederate state, Wynn Parish was notably supportive of equal rights for black Americans. During the Civil War, Wynn Parish's delegate voted to remain in the Union, saying, quote, Who wants to fight to keep the Negroes for the wealthy planters? Long was homeschooled for most of his early childhood, but after he entered public schools, he performed exceptionally well, even skipping a grade. However, he was expelled from his high school after he started a club to expose the school administration's wrongdoings. In spite of this, he won a full tuition scholarship to Louisiana State University in 1910 in a debate competition, but he was unable to attend since his family couldn't afford housing and textbooks. The next year, Long began attending classes at Oklahoma Baptist University since his mother wanted him to become a, pr- a preacher. He wasn't particularly fond of theology, but he became extremely interested in law, so in 1912, he transferred to the University of Oklahoma College of Law. He had to borrow $100 from his brother to pay for tuition, but he ended up dropping out after gambling the money away. He later enrolled at Tulane University Law School in New Orleans, and he became a door-to-door salesman to pay for his expenses. During this time, he met a semi-professional baker named Rose McConnell, and the two got married in 1913. On their wedding day, Long reportedly had to borrow $10 from his wife to pay the pastor. He later graduated early, and in 1915, he became a practicing lawyer after passing the Louisiana bar exam. As a private attorney, Huey Long primarily represented poor clients who sought workman's compensation. In 1918, he invested over $1,000, equivalent to $18,000 today, in an oil well. When the well struck oil, Standard Oil refused to pay out a dividend to Long. Because of this, for the rest of his life, Long would have an immense hatred of Standard Oil. Long's political career began in 1924, when he ran in the Democratic primary for governor of Louisiana. At the time, the Democratic primaries in Louisiana were basically just the election. The primary issue in the election was the growing influence of the Ku Klux Klan. Long's French Catholic opponents, Henry Fuqua and Hewitt Blanchard, both strongly opposed the Klan. Long, meanwhile, did not actively support the Klan, but since his largest supporters were poor rural Protestants in northern Louisiana, he didn't actively oppose the Klan either. Unsurprisingly, his lack of support from Catholics took its toll on him, and Fuqua went on to win the election. 
Now, understanding the power of Catholics in the predominantly French state, Long spent the next four years building a rapport with Louisiana's Catholic population. In 1926, Governor Henry Fuqua died, and his Protestant Lieutenant Governor Oramel Simpson became governor. Simpson quickly became unpopular. The Great Mississippi Flood of 1927 crippled the living situation in eastern Louisiana, which heavily affected Catholic Cajuns. Long was able to gain their support by pointing out the mismanagement of the flood by the Simpson administration. When the 60-year-old Simpson saw Long in a hotel and called him a liar, Long responded by punching him in the face. In the 1928 Democratic gubernatorial primary, Long defeated Simpson, along with moderate Democrat Riley Wilson, before winning the general election with 96% of the vote against Republican Etienne Kerr. At the age of 35, Long was the youngest governor of Louisiana prior to 35-year-old Bobby Jindal. As governor, Long immediately began to consolidate his own power. He fired hundreds of his political opponents from government jobs, and he required their replacements to pay into his campaign fund. He aggressively pressured the state's legislature to pass bills that supported his plan to eliminate income inequality. When a legislator accused Long of not understanding the state constitution, he replied, quote, I'm the constitution around here now. After being implored to root out so-called immorality by his Catholic voter base, Long launched raids on underground casinos and brothels in New Orleans. He was criticized heavily after local newspapers published images of police searching nude prostitutes. Louisiana's attorney general met with Long and called his actions illegal, to which Long responded, Nobody asked you for your opinion. Long had the old governor's mansion demolished and replaced with a larger Georgian mansion that looked similar to the White House, symbolizing his political aspirations. He also became heavily involved in the day-to-day -day matters of Louisiana State University, even expelling several students who criticized him in the school's newspaper. Although his governing style was extremely autocratic, Long was still responsible for some genuinely good things. He ordered the construction of over 2,000 miles of paved roads in Louisiana, as well as the Huey P. Long Bridge, which crossed the Mississippi River. He also launched a program to combat adult illiteracy, which was successful in teaching over 100,000 adults to read. In addition, he oversaw the construction of the tallest state capitol building in the country. If you haven't seen it before, it looks pretty cool. Check it out. However, these projects came with a heavy price tag. During Long's four-year tenure as governor, Louisiana's state debt increased from $11 million to over $150 million. In 1929, shortly after the start of the Great Depression, Long called for a 5% tax on oil production in Louisiana, which outraged many legislatures. After Long accused these legislators of being bribed by Standard Oil, they introduced articles of impeachment against him. The Louisiana State House indicted him on charges of abuse of power, misuse of state funds, and more. 
Prior to his trial in the state senate, he had 15 state senators sign a statement pledging to vote not guilty regardless of any evidence, and he allegedly offered government positions to them if they agreed. The senators agreed, and he was acquitted. Long became increasingly paranoid, surrounding himself with bodyguards at all times and threatening to put attacks on newspapers to combat the, quote, fake news media. Sound familiar? In the 1930 Democratic primary for one of Louisiana's seats in the U.S. Senate, Long ran a vicious campaign against his former political ally and incumbent Senator Joseph Ranstall, calling the 72-year-old, quote, old feather duster. In an election tainted by accusations of voter fraud, Long defeated Ransdell with 57% of the vote. Despite being elected to the Senate in 1930, Long continued to serve as governor of Louisiana until the end of his term in 1932. He feared that his lieutenant governor, Paul Sear, would reverse his public works projects. To prevent this from happening, Long actually convinced the state legislature that Sear was planning a coup d'etat and he was removed from his position. In 1932, Long became a member of the U.S. Senate. He initially supported President Franklin Roosevelt's proposed New Deal. However, when Roosevelt declined to give Long a cabinet position, he turned his back on the president. Long became a vocal critic of Roosevelt, who he saw as too moderate in his approach to ending the Great Depression. He also became a staunch isolationist, arguing that foreign wars only benefited the rich. He especially argued that the American entry into the Spanish-American War and World War I were motivated by the interests of, you guessed it, Standard Oil. In 1933, Long proposed the Share Our Wealth Plan, which would limit annual income per capita to $1 million and cap all personal net worths at $100 million. He filibustered Roosevelt's National Industry Recovery Act for 15 hours, the seventh longest filibuster in U.S. history. President Roosevelt would later refer to Senator Huey Long and General Douglas MacArthur as, quote, the two most dangerous men in America. Despite now being in the U.S. Senate, Long continued to consolidate power in Louisiana state politics. An anti-Long paramilitary organization called the Square Deal Association was created. The group rioted outside of the East Baton Rouge Paris Courthouse in 1935, and Long's bodyguards responded by firing tear gas and rubber bullets into the crowd. That same year, Long announced his intention to run against Roosevelt in the 1936 Democratic presidential primary. Along with Roosevelt, his primary opponents were Assistant Secretary of War Henry Breckinridge, who graduated from Princeton University in New Jersey, novelist Upton Sinclair, and New York Governor Al Smith. On September 8, 1935, Long traveled to Baton Rouge to gerrymander the district of one of his opponents, well-respected long-serving judge Benjamin Pavey. Long had previously sparred with Pavey, claiming that his family had, quote, Negro blood. Around 9.30 p.m., Long was approached in the state house by Pavey's son-in-law, Carl Weiss. Weiss drew a handgun and shot Long in the stomach. 
In addition to Long's spat with his father-in-law, Weiss, who was Jewish, was likely also motivated by Long's alleged anti-Semitic views. Long's bodyguard returned fire, hitting Weiss with over 60 rounds and killing him. Long was rushed to the hospital, and although he was initially in stable condition, his kidneys later began to hemorrhage. The next day, on September 9, 1935, Huey Long died from his injuries. An autopsy later revealed that the fatal shot may have been fired by one of Long's bodyguards. Along with Robert F. Kennedy of New York and David Broderick of California, Long is one of three sitting U.S. Senators to be assassinated in office, and along with Kennedy as well as Joseph Smith of Illinois, he is one of three U.S. presidential candidates to be assassinated while running. After his death, Long's wife Rose took his Senate seat, and his son Russell served as a U.S. Senator from 1948 to 1987. In addition, Huey Long's political policy split Louisiana's Democratic Party into pro-Long and anti-Long factions, which would go on to define the state's political landscape until as late as the 1970s. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Historia Obscura. I really enjoyed writing this episode, and I hope you enjoyed listening to it just as much. If you want to suggest an episode of Historia Obscura, send me a voice message at anchor.fm slash historiaobscura slash message. Feel free to leave your name and location, and if I like your idea, I'll make an episode of it and give you credit. Additionally, if you want to support this podcast, go to patreon.com slash Historia Obscura and become a patron. And of course, I can't go without once again thanking this episode's sponsor, Anchor. They are by far the easiest way to make a podcast, so if you want to make your own, go to anchor.fm. With that said, this is Jack from Historia Obscura, signing off, but not for long.